Doctor's Kitchen. Recipes, health, lifestyle. You ask yourself the question and you can either place your hands on your head or just focus on answering it from that part of your body. Why do I want this car or do I really want this car? Answer it logically. Then take five deep breaths and put your hands on your heart Uh and ask the same question, but answer it emotionally. And then take five more deep breaths, put your hands on your belly and answer the same question again from your intuition. Now, if they're aligned, then you probably do actually have magnetic desire for that thing. Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast. The show about food, lifestyle, medicine, and how to improve your health today. I'm Dr. Rupi, your host. I'm a medical doctor. I study nutrition and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me and my expert guests where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best life. Friend of the podcast and one of my favorite authors, Dr. Tara Swart is back on the Doctor's Kitchen show today. She's a neuroscientist, former medical doctor, and author of The Source, a book that has been hugely impactful to my career and mindset. And she's also host of top-rated life sciences podcast, Reinvent Yourself with Dr. Tara and Brand Ambassador in the beauty and well-being space. Today, we're going to talk about neuroplasticity, the ability of everybody to adapt and change way later in life than we originally thought. Dr. Tara will talk to us about exercises for how to better tap into the potential of our brains, as well as the science of why manifesting and vision boarding, also known as action boarding, works so well, plus how ancient wisdom has influenced her practice. Her idea is very simple. No matter how old, how stubborn, or how set in their ways, everyone has the capacity to change. And to add to that, everyone has the ability to manifest a future for themselves full of love, joy, health, and whatever you desire. But your mindset and willingness to let go is crucial. I think you will love Dr. Tara's science-influenced approach to manifesting and ancient practices. It really does resonate with me. Remember, you can watch the podcast on YouTube where you can support the podcast in a no-cost manner by just hitting subscribe and the notification bell. You can download the Doctor's Kitchen app for free. Right now, we have over 600 recipes, each with step-by-step images to help you get into that mindset of healthy eating every day. Plus, you can check out our free newsletter, Eat, Listen, Read, that you you can subscribe to, I should say. You can subscribe to on the Doctor's Kitchen website right now. Every week, I send you a recipe to enjoy, something to listen to, something to watch, something to read that will help you have a healthier, happier week. For now, onto my podcast with the wonderful Dr. Tara. Before we get started, here is a quick word from the people who make this podcast possible. Tara, it's so good to have you here again, actually face to face in this podcast. We're going to get right into it. I want to talk to you about manifesting 
Okay. What is the science mm-hmm. from a neuroscientist perspective mm-hmm. about why manifesting works? Okay. There's a few ways I could approach this. And I think it's a good idea to start off by saying that manifesting is basically setting a goal mm-hmm. and making it happen. Um, so, you know, there's a process of change in the brain that helps us to move towards, you know, a new habit, a new behavior, something we want to bring into our life. And in practical terms, that process involves knowing what you want. So that's raised awareness, mm-hmm. um, focused attention, which is looking out for opportunities that can lead you closer to that goal. Deliberate practice, which is taking the actions that you need to be doing to achieve the thing that you want. And then accountability, which is basically how do you make sure that you don't give up Mm. um, if it takes longer than you thought or it's just, you know, harder than you thought or it feels like it's never going to happen. Because in the brain, when you are working towards a goal, you're basically reinforcing a pathway in your brain. Mm -hmm. And so, so neuroplasticity means that we can change and flex pathways in our brain. And even though it might feel like a psychological thing, that physical hard work is going on in your brain. So, you know, it's tiring, you need extra resources to feed it. And there's a tipping point where the pathway becomes strong enough that you're in all the right habits Mm. and you're moving in the right direction and it feels like, you know, you can achieve the thing that you want. But there's always a period just before you get to that tipping point that often people feel like giving up. Because it's it's all the hard work and no result yet. Mm. So, you know, the motivation is imp- is important. Mm-hmm. I think with manifestation, some of the things can be about well, you know, everybody else is getting engaged, getting married, having a family, so I should do that too. But mm. you know, I think it's really about digging down into what is your magnetic desire, which is the thing that will pull you through yeah. that time where it feels like it's too difficult. And so, what's actually going on in the brain? And I, I'm going to put that together with visualization or um, what, you know, are known as vision boards, but I call action boards for the reasons I've just said, which is that you have to do stuff to make it happen. But there's some processes in the brain called selective filtering, selective attention and value tagging. Uh And so because we're bombarded with so much information, we naturally filter out things that we don't need to know about. So for example, you're not aware of your clothes on your body all day because you don't need that, you know, sensory input. But if you're not directing that filtering, your brain's going to do it on a default basis, which is really just prioritizing your survival. If so, you know, if you can direct it more towards by having an image of something that you want or, you know, a list of something that you want, then that helps. Um, And so that helps then to you to pay attention to opportunities that could lead you in the right direction. And the value tagging is how those things are tagged in order of importance in your brain. And there's a logical side to that, but there's also an emotional side. And that's, again, why I call it magnetic desire, which Mm. is that it has to be something you want so much that it's like top of mind, front of brain, and you notice everything that, you know, that's connected to it possibly coming true. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk a bit about magnetic desire, actually, because what conjures up in my head Mm. is this idea of um, mimetic theory or mimesis, whereby you see something on Instagram, let's say, or you see that your friend has got 
a new car or mm-hmm. is going skiing and then mm-hmm. you automatically start desiring that you mimic mm-hmm. the desires of somebody else mm-hmm. how can you teach yourself or be aware of that sort of mimetic desire pull mm-hmm. that can be stealing away from your true magnetic desire something that will pull you through because you mm-hmm. actually truly mm-hmm. desire that that's such a great question. I've never actually been asked that before. Um, and I think a good way to check that is whether it's aligned in your head, your heart and your gut. Mm. And by, you know, scientifically, I mean, logically, emotionally and intuitively. So if we take an example of um, your friend's got a new car, like, mm. you know, use the one that you gave, then if you ask yourself the question three times, and there's actually a really great exercise called unfurling, where you ask yourself the question and you can either place your hands on your head or just focus on answering it from that part of your body and basically say, why do I want this car? Or do I really want this car? Answer it logically. Then take five deep breaths and put your hands on your heart Uh and ask the same question, but answer it emotionally. And then take five more deep breaths, put your hands on your belly and answer the same question again from your intuition. Now, if they're aligned, then you probably do actually have magnetic. magnetic you probably do actually have magnetic desire for that thing. If logic's telling you one thing, but intuition's telling you another, or your emotions are telling you another, then if there's you know if there's discord there, it's worth kind of questioning that. You know, maybe journaling, maybe chatting to a friend or a therapist or something um, about why it's not aligned. I love that. I've never heard of that. Um, what did you call it? Unfurling. Unfurling. Unfur- yeah. I've never heard of that exercise. I'm going to start putting that into practice because mm-hmm. literally thinking about it out loud, you know, your head, your heart, your gut, mm. it sounds quite spiritual. Mm-hmm. It sounds like something that, you know, our mothers might have told us or like, you know, extended family, particularly us, you know, both coming from similar backgrounds. Yeah. But there is science behind it as well, right? There is a science behind how your brain is connected to your gut, which is connected mm-hmm. to your heart. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, it's it's a coaching exercise. So it's kind of, it's it's one that just works nicely because of the way you like embody it. But if you think about the six ways of thinking in my book, mm. then there's logic, emotion, intuition, which we've just covered, but there's also motivation, physicality, and creativity. So with if I'm coaching executives, I get them to actually work through those six and ask themselves the question. So even when I was working with guys who were trading, I would say work through those six. So what, why might you make this trade? Mm. Logically, intuitively, creatively, everything. And would you get them to put... No, because no, <laughs> at, at that time, I didn't actually know the exercise. Yeah. But for some people, it suits to do it in that way that is more technical and scientific yeah and for some people it's just going to feel more right to do it in this you know very kind of visceral way yeah i talked to you about this um during your podcast um and and video where i described to you the manifesting process that i put in practice after reading your book about the studio that we're literally sat in right now and actually I, i wanted to read you the affirmation that i literally read to myself every single day because uh, I'm not too sure whether you got the same vibe when you walked in here, but I, so th- for those uh, of you listening to this for the first time, I started reading uh, the source. I spoke to you, we had some coaching sessions mm-hmm. and I started writing down exactly what 
the vibe should be in my studio that I had no idea that I could afford to to um, start renting. I had no idea what it actually looked like. I didn't know whether I was going to be able to even create the team that we have today. Mm. And, and this so was I, years ago. This right? is years, years ago. ago. This yeah. is literally like two, yeah. two, two and a half years ago, something like that. And the, the first line of this is walking into the doctor's kitchen HQ is like entering a health conscious foodies paradise. At the front desk, there was a deep green backdrop of plants broken up by vibrant dynamic bowls of the distinctive logo. Glass paneling streams a gorgeous amount of natural light into the double height room. The clatter of pans and lo-fi beats and happy voices in the background knows, lets you know that this is a place of work, fun and incredible food. Aromatic spices, cinnamon, cardamom, paprika provide a warm greeting uh, that leads you through the mixture of tables and soundproofed meeting rooms <laughs> it's crazy then, <laughs> that is crazy yeah, yeah. And that's i mean hopefully you got that kind of yeah, vibe yeah. and that's i would literally it gives me goosebumps every time i read this and i'm in the studio because i read that to myself yeah and there's a whole long list i won't go through the whole thing there's mm -hmm. a, a good sort of like essay here of, of every sort of detail i read that to myself every morning did you read it out loud? I read it out loud. So one of the things, so, you know, for some people, action boards are the thing. There's, I've got a really interesting theory about reading something out loud. Mm -hmm. Additionally, if you had handwritten it, but, you know, you typed it. So basically mm. you typed it up. Yeah. Um, then you read it and you're speaking it out loud and you're hearing what you're saying. So you're actually touching upon several different parts of the brain. You know, the part that articulates speech, the part that hears language and processes it mm. um the part that reads so you know it's it's an alternative I, i'm i'm you know very happy for people to do lists but i think writing out you know almost something like a magazine article yes. or a letter to yourself yeah. is, is really it's more creative that that was written through the lens of a journalist of a magazine that had visited or was going to visit the doctor's kitchen hq and I described all those different elements as if I were writing it my, myself. Mm. And it goes into an interview a little bit later on where I talk about the app. And I still need to add a few extra bits to that, actually. Yeah. and start reading that every single day. Mm. But for me, that was a, a, a powerful illustration to myself about this, the value of manifesting, the value of action mm. boarding. And I did have my action board as well which had like some images of, you know, these kind of things as well. And through the process Hang of on, wasn't there a specific... The, the pink fridge. Yes, there was a specific pink fridge. Yeah, I'll yeah. get to that later on in the okay, article okay. as well, about like how there is this vibrant big pink fridge mm. in the middle of the studio. And it just so happens that Smeg, who, you know, uh, we approached, mm -hmm. had the exact pink colored fridge. I mean, you think about like fridges, they don't particularly come in, you know, retro colors like that. And that particular pink is the exact same pink that we have in our brand colors as well for Doctor's Kitchen. So it kind of all aligned and... You, reading your book again, of which I've read like three or four times, the value tagging mm -hmm. and the selective attention mm. really makes a lot of sense to me now because mm -hmm. in this field of noise that mm. we're constantly exposed to, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's news or whether it's something in your line of vision or like chatter in the background, you are paying more attention to the things that you have signaled as value to you mm. just by virtue of you 
literally reading this mm -hmm. out loud mm -hmm. every day or visioning something or, or looking at your action board. And so that yeah. for me was like a, an illustration of the, the science behind everything that you talk about with manifesting. Oh, it's great to, to hear a, you know, a real life <laughs> yeah. example of it working out so well as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's always, you know, even though it's, you know, obviously a huge area of research for me and I'm a big advocate of it myself, it always still feels so special to hear a story like that. You yeah, know? yeah. With um, with manifesting and the science of manifesting, mm. uh, there there appears to be a lot of people talking about this um, more recently, right? We, we already already had like you know the I think it's Rhonda Byrne, is that her Rhonda name? Rhonda Byrne, yeah. Rhonda Byrne with the secret and stuff, and you come along and you give like a real sort of credibility to the art of manifesting. Mm. Where do you think? mistakes are being made in action boarding or vision boarding or manifesting mm -hmm. that lead people to not sort of realize their, their their dreams or you know things that perhaps people could improve that you see quite often people are making those mistakes yeah so one is something that we've already sort of co covered which is you know being very sure that these are the things that you actually want and mm -hmm. for the right reasons and then then i'd say there's two major things one is Quite often what I hear people say is I've selected images, I've laid them out, but I haven't glued them down yet. Mm. And what I've learned over time is that that final step is basically you saying to yourself, I deserve all of these things. So often lack of deservingness mm. is an issue that's underlying either not making the board, not finishing it, um, not putting things on it that actually, you know, I, I want to talk about the balance between dreaming big and feeling that you deserve things mm. but the other issue being that people are putting just fantasy images on there and not doing any action to actually make it come true yeah yeah so you know what i don't believe as a scientist is that you can just visualize or look at a vision board and not do anything yeah and that 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 thing can come into your life. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people, I, I, I think, might be listening to this and and saying to themselves, "Well, yeah, okay, Doctor Tara, I've you know I've got my vision board. I've I've made a list of things that I want in life, and nothing's coming true. I've tried it, and especially mm -hmm. around this time of year where people mm -hmm. are making sort of promises or trying to renew old promises that never came to fruition, mm -hmm. like improving my weight, sticking to my diet, you mm -hmm. know, starting that business idea, in. Mm -hmm. In response to those people who are criticizing this idea of manifesting, what what are the things that you would say to them to to, to improve upon? Um, so again, I'm going to like come at this a few ways. One is that I have actually extended my view, like through learning myself, of of how to complete that process better. So I do believe in making preferably a, vis a physical board, although. You know, that you can do them on your, online mm, as well. Yeah, yeah. Of making sure that you are actually looking at it at least on a daily basis. And then adding in, visualizing it being true. So a little bit like how you've written that story and of what it feels like to be in the place, what it sounds like, mm. what it smells like. Um, kind of immersing yourself in that, even if it's for like one minute, five minutes, you know, preferably longer if you can. And then when you're really feeling it in all of your senses, giving a huge amount of gratitude for the fact that that has materialized. So because that moves your brain from the fear state to the trust state. Mm. And so that reduces the balance of cortisol, the stress hormone, and improves the balance of 
the bonding and love and trust hormone, which you can already imagine is going to make you go out there and take healthy risks. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, whether it's any of the examples that you've just given, like my weight or my diet, or it's something more tangible, like a job or a house um, or a partner, the question in my mind would be, what have you actually been doing to make that come true? Yeah, You know, I, th I think the reason that so many New Year's resolutions fail is because people set goals that are unachievable um, and, you know, breaking them down into, into like really small pieces. Uh, you mentioned actually something similar about habit stacking, but the year that I achieved the most was when I gave up on big New Year's resolutions and I thought, I'm going to change three things in the first quarter of the year, just small things. Mm. And then I did another three, another three, another three. So, you know, that's potentially 12 habits. I would say at the end of that year, I had 10 things that were complete habits for me now that hadn't taken the same kind of effort as, you know, a big new goal at the start of the year that we've all made before and then never yeah. you know, completed. What, what were some of those? Some of them were really simple things like drink more water, go to bed half an hour earlier, mm. you know, walk walk a bit longer than, you know, you might have to. Yeah. Um, I'm actually trying to think because that was so many years ago. I've always tried to do with the sleep one. I'm I'm constantly struggling with that myself, actually, of trying to go to sleep slightly earlier. And my excuse mm. is that my wife does make us go to sleep later because she's always like, you know, asking questions about the day and stuff, and wants to stay up or watch something or whatever. Mm. So I, I kind of have her as an excuse, but I should be a little bit more rigid with myself. I mean, I guess for that one, you could make it you can make it like, okay, we can still have the chat, but we go to bed and have the chat. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. She's got questions. Yeah. Then at least if you've moved to the bedroom, then you're starting to signal. Yeah. You know, this is sleep time. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. Mm. Um, on the subject of three things, I wanted to talk to you about three big things today. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I sort of hijacked the first one. I really wanted to talk about the science of manifesting, my personal experience, and why I think everyone should be living and experiencing this idea of abundance and mm -hmm. limitless potential and actionability and, and action boarding, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, your goals are. Mm -hmm. What are the two other things that you feel people should really know about from, from your own expertise and experience? Um, so I have slightly pivoted um, where I'm focusing at the moment to be more about how applying ancient mm -hmm. wisdom can be helpful with modern mental health or health struggles. Mm. Um, I think, you know, like you said, manifestation seems to have become really popular again. I don't want to keep talking about the pandemic, but I think that was an opportunity for people to step back and think differently and, you know, maybe make some changes in their life. It was also a time where the appreciation of being in nature, the appreciation of smell as a scent, you know, was sort of heightened for all of us. Mm. Um, and so basically the two areas I would like to talk about are ancient wisdom and quite an emerging field called neuroaesthetics, okay. which is about the health, mental health and longevity benefits of beauty, art, music, nature. So, you know, it kind of connects to the ancient wisdom of those things in our life. So, you know, how indulging in a creative activity for 20 minutes a day boosts your mental health and can actually contribute to you living longer. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so I'll start with a, an experiment that 
kind of came to mind when you were describing the environment for for okay. Doctor's Kitchen, which is that in so it was done on rats in three groups, and one was put in an enriched environment. So things like the colours, the textures, the smells that you described. Mm. Um, one group was just in a kind of you know regular cage with the hamster wheel kind of thing, and one group were put into a deprived environment. Mm-hmm. Now it won't surprise you to hear that the rats in the enriched environment. They demonstrated neuroplasticity. They made new connections. Their brain, you know, essentially grew. But what we were shocked to see was that the rats in the deprived environment actually lost brain cells. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so basically it's, you can understand that enriching your environment, seeing beautiful things, exposing yourself to different smells and textures. So there's also some research that's come out recently that shows that the more different scents you have around your house or in your life mm-hmm. um, can actually stave off the onset of dementia symptoms. Oh, wow. Mm. Wow. So just having different, like, you know, a really good spice cupboard, for example, or like just different areas in your house where you have different uh, stimuli. Yeah. So, you know, whether it's a diffuser or a candle um, or, you know, the, what you have in your shower. Yeah. Um, and so basically neuroesthetics also says that the things that you experience first thing in the morning kind of set you up for the whole day, right? Mm. So, you know, whether that's that you used a pillow spray or you've got some fresh flowers by your bed, Mm. um, the texture of your bedding. um, The first thing I do in the morning before I even start to think is I give gratitude for all of my bedding. So as soon as I realize I'm awake, um, you know how easy it is to then start thinking, oh, you know, I've got to do this today and that today. I just start with, I love my my pillowcase. I love my pillow. I love my mattress, you know. And so again, you're shifting your brain from potentially going down the kind of stress, you know, stresses of what I have to get done today. You're shifting it into gratitude and abundance and oxytocin. I definitely need to lean into that a lot more because my wake up uh, this morning was that of, okay, I've got to send these emails. I've got to make sure I've got all the spices and the ingredients ready for Tara's recipe today. <laughs> I've got to make sure that, you know, we, or I, I've got a brief of what we're going to be chatting about. I've got to do this thing later on this evening. So my mind immediately goes to my mm-hmm. to-do list. Mm-hmm. And actually, I'm that's certainly something I'm going to start leaning into a lot more, just yeah. going straight into gratitude for the things that I completely brush over in the morning. Mm. That's, yeah, that's, that's definitely going to be something I change straight away. And I'm sure that's very common. You know, what yeah. you've described is very common for people. Um, but what I've realized is, so, and, and just to bring this back, because I didn't fully answer your question about some of my micro habits. Uh-huh. Um, so some of them were very focused around my morning routine, which was to do deep breathing whilst I was still in bed. Um, do You know, if I was doing meditation, to do that, mm. either in bed or like just, you know, as soon as I got up. Um, journaling was one of the habits as well. So what that made me realize, because I was doing the breathing and or the mindfulness in bed, is that there is a little tiny pause moment that you can take before your brain starts to go down that list of things that you have to do today. Mm. Once you kind of experience that, and, and you know, I feel for sure now that I've told you, you'll experience it tomorrow morning. Yeah. That's when you know that you can do the gratitude and actually offset the 
list of things that you have to worry about. So offset that spiral into sort of the to-do mm. and the the stresses and all the rest mm. of it and just looking out for that pause, basically. Mm. I'm definitely going to 100% do that because uh, I'm experiencing that a lot more. And actually, it's funny because... Um, my wife used to be the kind of person that woke up straight away, grabbed mm. her phone and looked mm. through all the WhatsApp messages. And we had loads of conversations about it. And her excuse was, look, all my family are in Australia. Mm. I need to check the the messages straight away mm -hmm. and I need to make sure that I'm getting back to it. But in reality, what happens is you dive into a WhatsApp chat with your mm -hmm. friends who are back home and they're all chatting or gossiping about something. And then that sort of like derails your morning. Mm. Now it's almost like, the uh, mentee has become the master. She doesn't look at <laughs> her phone for like the first 60 to 90 minutes of her day. Wow. She does a gratitude journal pretty much straight away. She mists her plants in the morning, which is like <laughs> her sort of like Buddhist activity. Mm -hmm. You know, she's just quietening the mind. And I'm the one who's now like falling into bad habits yeah. when uh, when I wake up in the morning. So there's, there's definitely things that I can sort of space out in my morning to prevent mm -hmm. that spiral. Yeah. And it's, you know, I mean, and this goes the same for me as well, but it's interesting how sometimes, you know, like your parents' food habits, for example, yeah. have changed as a result of you. But, you know, you might do something that you tell other people not to, you know, so it's yeah, like position, yeah. heal thyself. Yeah, yeah. But it's really actually great to see examples of people who've picked up tips from you mm. and are doing them because that's, that's accountability. That's accountability in a way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this whole idea of neuroaesthetics, how, how come this is only sort of, is this something that you're leaning to a lot more recently or is this something you've already been, already been aware of? And it's, um, um, know, it's No, I actually only really became aware of it fairly recently, like in the last few months. Oh, okay. Um, but then when I looked into it, um, there's a, there's a centre at Johns Hopkins, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, just such a good hospital for so many different types of research, like the psychedelic research yeah. and stuff like that. Um, and it connected up for me with ancient wisdom and the experience of really reconnecting to nature. And, you know, again, like you said earlier, I feel like a lot of us have gone backwards with that, you know, because yeah. like life's just at full pelt again. Yeah. Um, is that interestingly, you and I might have different taste in art or music, but nature is the palette that we are all pleased by because we've existed in it forever. Mm. So, um, you know, things like a sunset, a sunrise, the stars in the sky, you know, that's that's what we were appreciating as beauty when we lived in the cave. Yeah. Um, so the benefits of being in nature, being connected to nature are now proven by science, mm. but, you know, we're always that it's part of every ancient culture is yeah. a connection to nature, to the land, yeah, um, to cave paintings, to drum beating, to dancing, you know, like all of those things, we were doing those things. And if you think about it, we didn't really have time for indulgent luxury activities when we lived in the cave. So why were we doing those things? Because they're actually really important to our yeah. survival. Yeah. Um, you might know this, but I've been, this is one of my new facts that I love talking about, <laughs> yeah. which is that, so forest bathing, you know, it comes from Japan. Yeah. Um, being in a place with trees or, or plants or both, certain types of trees more than others. So I think cedars, cypresses and lime trees particularly, but, you know, all trees, 
um, they secrete some chemicals called phytoncides uh-huh. that trigger the release of natural killer cells in your immune system. So it actually physically boosts your immunity That's to be immense. around trees. That is immense. Yeah. <laughs> Even having plants in your house can, can you know, help that to happen too. I've, so. I've heard about house plants actually releasing phytoncides and, mm. and you know, uh, how it can be a sort of natural air purifier. Mm. And so particularly, you know, living in an urban environment, mm-hmm. as we both do, mm. it would be pertinent to have more house plants mm. in, in, in your household and all the rest of it and try and go out into nature as much as possible. Mm. But the, the whole area around forest bathing, natural killer cell boosting, and actually having that literal effect on the immune system is fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I heard quite a few years ago, and this was just when I was on safari, that, you know, if giraffes have been nibbling a certain type of tree too much, Uh and it's endangering the survival of that type of tree, they release chemicals that make other similar trees turn bitter so the giraffes won't eat them. What? (laughs) Really? So I, that was just like, I just loved that fact. But, you know, those years ago, I didn't know about you know, what trees do to our immune system. And it's, yeah, so, and the mycelium networks with mushrooms yes. and stuff. And there's just a lot of really interesting stuff coming out right now. Yeah, yeah. I need to dive more into the mycelia network and just how fascinating and interconnected this all is. Because mm. for me, it's a, we had Professor Nutt on the podcast a few months back mm-hmm. talking about his research with psychedelics and, mm. you know, some of the newer stuff that, I don't know if you have any perspectives on psychedelics in, in, in your area or, or your field. Yeah, I think, you know, all I can say at the moment is that the research is very promising Mm -hmm. after, you know, one or two doses of various types of of psychedelic substances. um, There are really quite long lasting benefits on things like depression and addiction. I think my concern is that it's not well regulated. Mm. Um, So if, if that kind of therapy was used always in conjunction with a qualified professional um, it looks very, very promising. I think at the moment around the world, there are sort of various views on it. So interestingly in Australia, as you know, is usually quite progressive. Mm. And so they gave the go ahead to this, um, as medical treatment and then realized very quickly that none of the nurses or doctors really, you know, have been trained to mm. how to do it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I've been watching it cautiously and I will say that from a discussion I had with a professor at Johns Hopkins, that there are these benefits, as I just described, but there is no benefit that cannot be replicated by sleeping eight hours a night, meditating, exercising, eating healthily and managing your stress. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I, I like that because I think a lot of people, wrongly so, gravitate to the easier quote unquote solution Mm -hmm. of take this pill Mm -hmm. have this Mm -hmm. you know one-off dose and you'll be fixing your trauma or your bad habits and it will allow you know you to sort of engage in those practices better but i think there is value in doing it the old-fashioned way and I, th- I think we sort of brush over the effectiveness of those things that you just listed yeah. for, you know, a new sexy treatment. Yeah. That- I just want to be clear that I'm not saying that about mental illness. I'm sure. saying that for yeah. like, you know, well-being. Of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also that we don't currently have enough longitudinal studies to, to you know, know about the long term benefits or yeah. consequences of of using those drugs. And we, you know, we do know, for example, that with 
a lot of MDMA use in the 80s recreationally mm -hmm. that there was an issue with basically running out of serotonin later in life mm. um, or you know receptor sensitivity becoming diminished so yeah we just don't know going back to the subject of neuroaesthetics are there mm. particular gadgets or exercises that you are excited about uh, in this sort of field, whether it be sort of lights or uh, brain exercises or apps or anything that can help people get into that sort of way of stimulating different uh, areas of the brain. So interesting because my instinct was to say no, <laughs> um, you know, that it's about making and beholding beauty, creativity, nature, sure. like however you want to look at that. So there are differential benefits from making and beholding. So you know, going to, to see a play, listening to music, um, reading a novel, that's beholding. Mm. And then making is, is actually drawing, painting, dancing. Um, and the really important point to make here is that it absolutely doesn't matter whether you're good at it or not. Okay, It's about, you know, doing something that you enjoy. And mm. you know, people are quite resistant to it because they'll say things like, well, I can't draw or I can't dance. Just do it on your own when, yeah. no, you know, nobody's yeah, yeah, watching. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. Um, and see how it feels. And, you know, there are wonderful studies of um, firefighters coming out of really traumatic incidents um, and just painting straight away as soon as they've, um, you know, left the scene and releasing so much trauma like oh, that, you wow. know, not getting PTSD. Wow. Wow. Um, but I did recently have this incredible fully immersive virtual reality experience. Okay. Um, so I was in a pod with headphones and the glasses uh -huh. and it was a nature scene. I literally like wanted to cry. It was really? so beautiful. Yeah. Wow. So I was floating first of all through a forest and then above water, but then up on one side, there were three deer um, on the mountain, you know, one, one with these huge antlers. And it was just like, I loved the animals. I loved the birds and the butterflies and stuff. And then you go underwater uh -huh. and it literally felt like snorkeling. Really? Um, and I have never done scuba diving, but uh -huh. then when you go deeper, I was like, this must be what it's like to scuba yeah, dive. Yeah. And then you come up into this beautiful cave with gemstones, you know, and somebody's talking to you and you feel like the wind on your face and smells are released. Wow. Um, and then just right towards the end where it's, you know, talking to you about the gem that is inside you and everything you see that there's, you know, kind of tunnel going upwards back to the sky. And it said, now you have to return to the reality of your life. And I was like, no, <laughs> please don't make me. I want to stay in here forever. <laughs> Where was that? Um, this was shown at Freeze, but it was oh, um, okay. actually Dr. Barbara Stern was doing a, oh, a collaboration wow. with it's Zydro XY. Zydro. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And they've got something going on in London at the moment till I think, December. Brilliant. Okay, cool. Well, I mean, when you don't have Zydrobe, then you can just, you know, <laughs> appreciate your pillow. And exactly. Just yeah. All yeah. Those yeah, those yeah. simpler things. Yeah. Um, I actually went to, it reminded me of um, uh, an experience I had at, uh, have you been to Frameless? I haven't been yet. Oh, you should go. I, yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, someone who appreciates art mm. particularly, um, it, that you have these rooms uh, and you see a, a Monet mm. uh, or, uh, you know, it, it, all these famous artists and they've used a bit of CGI and mm -hmm. 3D um, screens 
to sort of bring the the images to life. Yeah. And you really feel like you're in the middle of everything. And mm. I, I, that was an amazing experience. And actually. you interact with it too, right? Yeah, you can on the floor. They yeah. have these projectors and you can shift sort of leaves out of the way with your foot and stuff. Mm. So it's a really interesting sort mm. of experience. And now that I know a bit more about neuroaesthetics, mm. uh, I can see that I might be having a beneficial effect on my brain cells yeah. as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so that's neuroaesthetics. I love your sort of perspective on using an evolutionary lens mm -hmm. to sort of guide um, your uh, practices, your habits, eating habits, mm -hmm. ways of thinking, ways of interacting. I think there's so much we can learn from ancient wisdom. My worry actually, and I'm glad we're talking about this, is sometimes even with food, and I feel like I know mm -hmm. more about food than most people, mm -hmm. There are some practices that I think have already been lost and I won't be able to recover. Mm. And also for a lot of people who are starting out, where do they start actually? Where do they even sort of gather information or research about what the Native Americans uh, did or how they you know, ate food and how they interacted? And uh, it, the same thing with uh, traditional Chinese medicine mm -hmm. and, and, and the Japanese. We've lost a lot of our mm. sort of history and mm -hmm. it kind of trickles down a little bit. And I'm privy to having had some of that from my, my, my mom and both my parents actually. But I feel like we're steadily losing a lot of it. And so I'm yeah. really interested in your experiences with ancient wisdom, particularly on your own podcasts. Yeah, so obviously that's what I'm trying to do by doing, you know, doing the research, meeting the people, putting it onto my podcast mm. so that it's more accessible. Um, but a really sweet suggestion came up about how to start doing this yourself. And one is go and talk to your grandparents, mm. you know, mm. or talk to your parents, depending mm. how old you are, and, and ask them about the things. Start with your own culture. Um, or... If there's a certain country that you love traveling to and you're interested in their culture, dive into that one. Mm. Um, and, you know, maybe a lot of people also looking back at their genetics now and finding out where they may have come yeah. from, you know, like that they didn't know about. So yeah. maybe dip into that and see what comes up for you. Um, yeah. So and then, you know, there is actually I, I think you're right that some stuff has probably been lost. And I think it's there is an erosion over time, but there's actually a lot that hasn't been lost. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it does seem to be an area of interest that's growing, not just for me, I just, you know, followed my passion, mm. but it seems to be an area that people are really interested in. So it may be that we can, you know, recover some of like, you know, what's been archived, let's yeah. say in, in history. Yeah. Um, I think it's very much connected to food as well. So I, I wanted to just say a funny thing about neuroaesthetics and then yeah. bring it on to the food connection, which is that I, um, ordered three different types of squash from my farm box. And I just thought they were so beautiful. I've actually arranged them in my house, like right. art. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I didn't just put them in the fridge. I yeah. put them like, literally like in front of a painting uh -huh. that they match uh -huh. the colors. Um, so the interesting thing about food that I've learned more recently, I've really appreciated more recently, is that depending on your genetics or your culture, what you eat for your gut microbiome is actually really important. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for us who are of Indian heritage, but grew up here, mm. you know, we were both talking about how we ate when we were at medical school or junior doctors, you yeah. know, just apart from the fact that you're just like grabbing food and, and it's not particularly healthy, it'll be what's available in this country. Yeah. Um, yeah. So eating certain types of spices based on your genetic heritage 
is is actually very beneficial. And so I, I like Indian food and I like cooking Indian food, but I didn't quite appreciate that I, I need to actually be making sure I'm doing that enough. Ah, okay. Yeah. So there are specific spices according to your heritage mm -hmm. and your genetic ancestry that you're supposed to be eating more of for the benefit of your microbes. Have I, have I got that right? Yeah. And actually, you've great summary, <laughs> but um, it's not just spices. So for example, we come from, you know, like genetically from a country where coconut trees grow. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's beneficial for us to eat coconut products. Mm. For somebody who, you know, maybe came originally from the Nordics, right? coconut products can actually disrupt your gut microbiome right. because it's not for you. It's yeah. not like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, So thinking about that too, like where are the countries that my genes came from? Yeah. And what are the things that people eat there? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, if, if there's a curiosity, connect it up to what's the mythology from that country or what's the, you know, kind of indigenous practice of that country. Mm. Um, I really believe that, you know, even things like, Listening to, I don't, I don't, I was, I was going to contradict myself because I was going to say, you know, listen to the music from your culture. I don't really prefer to listen to Indian music, but I do listen to chanting. Mm. Um, so just bringing those sorts of things, like primal things, you know, and, and I do, I've really, I never made a decision to answer questions based on evolution. But every time I got asked a question I didn't actually know the answer to, I thought, why would this make sense? Yeah. From, you know, where we've come from. And then and now it's become a bit of a thing I've become known for is I'll always say, okay, let me work out why that would have been a thing when we lived in the cave. Um, and so, you know, the primal things that will probably be right for all of us, you know, because of like going back to just where humans came from, will be things like Drumming, chanting, humming, mm. um, being in nature, you know, preferably potentially being barefoot or like in contact with physical contact with nature. Um, and well, so it brings me on to a really important point, which I think is, you know, connected to all of those things is that there are some things that we have realized again, I think, since the pandemic. Uh -huh which are the importance of being in nature, the actual really astounding importance of having a purpose that transcends yourself and the longevity and health benefits of positive, meaningful social connections. And so, but on the other hand, there is an argument that we've become more lost and lonely and disconnected yeah. than ever. Mm. But in the cave... Once it went dark, you could, you know, you had the fire, but you couldn't really do anything but hang out and play with your family, mm. you know, play with the children, sit around and, you know, braid each other's hair or, yeah. you know, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think I keep reminding myself of those three things very much. Um, yeah. And so we were talking about attention and intention earlier. Because I'm so aware of those things now, because of all the research I've done for my podcast and the filming I've done, it's just on my mind much more that like, have I spent time in nature? To, you know, have when was the last time I spent time in nature? And, um, you know, really feeling this sense of passion and purpose for some of the things that I'm doing that are not for my own gain. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're interesting to me, but they're not for, you know, material gain. Mm. 
Um, and, you know, giving a lot of gratitude for the friends and family and connections and, you know, conversations and deep and meaningfuls and laughter and, you know, whatever it is that, that I have in my life. You, it, it's interesting you say this thing. There are a couple of things that came up for me when you were just talking about some of these practices. Mm. And I've been asked about them actually from, from some patients in the past, but also friends and family. Um, chanting, mm -hmm. is, this, is that something you do every day yourself? Or the chanting I tend to listen to, but the humming, a humming. and okay. singing I, I just do at home. Like what do you think what do you think is the reason as to why we would enjoy or benefit from humming? I actually think this is connected to something that you were saying earlier about breathing. Ah, okay. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Uh -huh. So um you you were giving examples of things like pranayama and mm. other, you know, forms of breathing or just focusing on the breath. And we know that, you know, there are benefits to that in terms of just resetting the nervous system. So when we're stressed, we tend to either hold our breath or breathe in a shallow way. Yes. Yeah. And a lot of that kind of breathing happens when we're attached to technology as well, just without us thinking about it. If you, if you now look out for it, you may find that when you're reading an email, you're actually holding your breath. Totally. Um, yeah. I do that a lot. I, I, I catch myself now because yeah. I'm looking out for that that apnea episode where I'm like, uh, yeah. <gasps> yeah. And, I, and it's because I'm like writing an email in a stressed state mm. and I'm not, and I need to remind myself to breathe through my mm. nose, out through my mouth and mm. actually just reset my nervous system. Yeah. Um, so where was I going with the, oh yeah. So basically breathing deeply, um, Focusing on your breath, regulating your breath, um, set moves your nervous system from sympathetic to parasympathetic, so mm -hmm. from fear to you know relaxation. And humming, additionally to the fact that you are conscious of your breathing if you're humming, also creates a certain vibration that is calming for your nervous system. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, um, humming. Uh, it's interesting because. Coming from an Indian background, I remember seeing prayers and uh, listening to sort of um, uh, shabads or um, like, uh, what do you call them? Um, like hymns, essentially, mm -hmm. where there is a lot of chanting and, and, mm -hmm. and humming and, and all that kind of stuff. And I never really made the connection between how that is perhaps educating the nervous system to be in a calmer state. Yeah. And the other thing that you mentioned was grounding. I was recently taught, asked about, you know, whether grounding has a uh, a scientific purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, does it improve the magnetism of your body? Does it introduce a a, a, a connection with nature? Mm -hmm. Is there anything from an from a, a, a an evidence based point of view that can explain the potential benefits of grounding or do you explain it through the lens of, well, you're going to be outside, you're going to be in a calmer state and you have sort of the tactile sensation of your feet on the ground? Mm -hmm. um, it's a bit of both. Uh -huh. So there, there, do, there, there are, you know, one of the benefits would be what we've just discussed about forest bathing. So it's the fact that you're in nature mm -hmm. and that, yes, that direct contact um, is, is, you know, it's calming. Um, but there are some more 
alternative explanations yeah. <laughs> for it as well. But you know, it's not going to harm you. Okay, that's where I've landed with it. Is that there's a bit, there's a potentially a bit of science behind it. It's also there's a lot of electromagnetic field yeah. stuff that I'm not quite sure about. But um, you know, given the the what we've just said about the boost to the immune system, I, I feel like it's definitely worth um doing if possible and you've reminded me of something else as well by talking about the chanting or the hymns which is prayer beads Uh so when you if you do count prayer beads and this happens in you know catholicism and hinduism and probably other forms as well then naturally you're going to be breathing at a certain rate um and so in buddhism um people will either have a light going, a group, groups of people will get together and either have light going at a certain frequency or a sound going at a certain frequency, which you then naturally start breathing to that frequency. And it's usually like um, five or six breaths a minute. Mm-hmm. And so if everyone, you know, all of us in the room, because there was a trigger like the light or the sound started breathing in time with it, then obviously naturally we are now breathing in time with each other. Mm-hmm. And we would actually then see that our heart rates and our brain waves would start to um, align. So that's called entrainment. Mm. Um, and it leads to things like better cooperation, you know, less of a feeling of you're, you're another, yeah. and you're, I'm me and you're other, and more of a feeling of, you know, unity and we are one and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, I get that actually. When I've been to uh, a few yoga classes, um, some pretty uh, like original yoga classes. I don't know if you've been to Indaba before. They're in Marlebone. They've been one of the original yoga studios mm-hmm. for like decades. They pull out a harmonium at the start and everyone oh. starts singing. Oh, I remember wow. the first time I did this, I was like, wow, this is, <laughs> this is a bit different out, yeah. to the sort of like posh modern yoga classes that I've been to um, in like these swanky new gyms. But I felt very connected actually to everyone in the room even though i had no idea who they were and perhaps it was because of that reason that everyone's mm. chanting everyone's breathing in the same sort of rhythm mm. and perhaps that's something that teams in general can learn from you know take a moment to breathe in breathe out like mm-hmm. around the desk or whatever i mean we do a daily stand-up as part of our um our growing but small company mm. um and that's just sort of a reset for the day figuring out what everyone else is doing because we don't tend to work a hybrid of remote and in, and in person mm-hmm. so we do this usually via google hangouts or whatever and that that's sort of one way of like providing a bit of like unity but Mm. i guess if we did a literal exercise like breathing together perhaps that could even enhance that feeling yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) um so fascinating because you're really like triggering all these different thoughts in in my mind and i think something that we haven't discussed before but i think you'll find really interesting um as a former medic is that if you take you know something from from our, our ancient wisdom which is the concept of reincarnation mm-hmm. um then you know if you've been brought up with that belief you might you may or may not hold that belief um it can be hard obviously to have that in your cultural heritage and be a scientist or a doctor yeah, and kind of you know absolutely yeah, um yeah. be able to marry those two but there are a lot of doctors now, mostly psychiatrists and um, also psychologists that I have spoken with or read um, their research, who are looking at really interesting things like near-death experiences, Mm -hmm. past life memories, 
terminal lucidity and something called mind sight, which is when people who've been blind their whole life, so they've never had vision, mm. have a near-death experience. And during that, they see. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is rare. That. Mind sight is rare. But near-death experiences have tens of thousands of recorded cases okay. now. Uh-huh. And so what's interesting about that in terms of, and there is, stay with me on this because there is a thread, uh-huh. is that if it is possible that somebody can have dementia or a stroke and their cognitive function is reduced or irreversibly affected, mm-hmm. if it is possible for that person to become completely lucid before they pass away, if it is possible for someone to be technically, physically dead and have a, an experience, a conscious experience and return to consciousness, mm. what does that mean about the connection between the physical body and consciousness and whether we can expand our consciousness? Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of these rituals like drumming, and if you think about shamanic rituals, for example, were to expand consciousness. Mm. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about psychedelics here, but what I'm really interested in is our ability as humans, you know, not necessarily with any other substance to expand our consciousness. Um, And whether that means becoming more intuitive or it means possibly like having synchronicities or feeling like you're a bit telepathic with someone, yeah. you know. Um, I, I just think that is a very interesting area. And I think it's very timely with AI because in a way, AI is going to take us away from that direction. But I think there's a huge potential for, you know, AI to expand a lot of things in, in the world but also for us to realize that our our own human consciousness is actually capable of much more than we've ever realized before. That's fascinating. I had to take a moment to take that in for a second. I mean, I am interested in your thoughts on AI as we've had a recent uh, sort of news thread around AI and OpenAI in particular imploding and now getting back together. And it seems that the intrusion, if you want to call it that, of AI is going to become inevitable in every single walk of life. Mm -hmm. You've just mentioned how AI is going to be potentially at the detriment of expanding human consciousness. Why why might that be? Um, I actually don't think it's potentially at the detriment. I think I agree with you that, you know, AI is here and it's happening and it's growing at an exponential rate and there's just no point thinking that that's not mm. you know, going to be the case. Um, but I actually have a very, um, what's the right word? I trust us as humans. Okay. And I base that on, if you look at the agricultural revolution and the industrial revolution, everybody thought, you know, this was a threat. It was going to change yeah. everything. People would be out of jobs. Yeah. Um, and we adapted. And I believe that we will adapt again. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, as a neuroscientist, I'm you know biased towards this area of research. But I believe that realizing more of the potential of our brains is the way that is the adaptation to the technological revolution. Mm-hmm. And 
the practices that we've just talked about today, just giving some takeaways for the listener or the viewer, mm-hmm. neuroesthetics, mm-hmm. gratitude, mm-hmm. being a lot more intuitive about your surroundings and spending as much time in nature. Aside from psychedelics, are there any other consciousness expanding practices mm-hmm. that you feel that we should be a researching more if there's not already some research mm-hmm. around this that you're aware of and be sort of us for us to be practicing on a, on a, on a daily basis? Um, so, you, you know, you sort of, you covered off neuroesthetics, but I think I probably want to just reiterate some of those practices, sure. um, which are making and beholding of art, dance, music, fiction, um, theatre, that kind of thing, and, you know, and nature. I definitely need to read more fiction. <laughs> I read way too many sort of textbooks and mm. studies and stuff, and I think I need to dive into that creativity element myself. Yeah, I got to a point where I was having to, to read a lot for work, but uh-huh. I made sure that I alternated, so I would do one fiction and one non-fiction. And now, to be honest, I mean, I do research online, but for reading, I I just love reading fiction and oh, I pretty really? much only read fiction. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I li- like a historical novel because I like to learn something gotcha. yeah, you know, yeah, that's true yeah, as well. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> so I, this other, I, w- I want to connect up your question to these, you know, these other things that I've sort of mentioned as well, which is having a purpose that transcends yourself. Mm. Um, that's actually got health benefits for you, but it's it's also something that's making you realize that you're part of, a community or a whole or, you know, the planet, the universe, the universe. I, you know, personally, I always say that, you know, I ask myself if what I'm doing is good for me, good for other people and good for the planet. Um, which is why I, we were joking about me giving you my food waste to compost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then I think I really can bring this background to manifestation. If you set a goal and it's either for a tangible item or a you know difference in your behavior or your relationships or it is something more intangible like honing your intuition understanding synchronicities and what they might mean then i would say that is the way of expanding your consciousness mm. like of of believing that you can manifest things yeah. of understanding that you have this even though you can't remember everything you've experienced in your whole life, you have this inner wisdom that recognizes patterns Mm. um, that just asking yourself questions like, are there coincidences or, you know, what is synchronicity? Um, And again, that, that comes very much from um, first American wisdom, which is that, you know, we have, it's a man-made construct that time is linear. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of tribes in America see time as a spiral. And so that means that you're essentially going past or crossing over places that you've been before. Okay. Um, so it's just, you know, it's just an interesting different way to think about if you, well, uh, you know, I've got an actual example, um, but everyone will have this, you know, when you think of someone and then they text you kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So at the start of COVID, when there was this um, phenomenon of vivid dreaming going on globally, um, I myself had this kind of anxiety dream and it was very real. And in the dream, one of my former coaching clients rescued me from this kind of like 
horror show kind of funfair thing that I was trapped in. And so in, in the dream, he put his hand out and I grabbed his hand and he took me out to the light. But then when I got there, I said, now that I've touched you, I might get COVID. So, you know, it's one of these crazy, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, really yeah, like yeah. anxious dreams. Uh-huh. Um, and I actually mentioned this, like, you know, in, in, in the kitchen over breakfast. Um, and then at lunchtime, I got a text from the person that was in my dream. And I actually checked and we hadn't texted each other for three or four months. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's um, had that experience. Mm. I, you know, I think... I'm just very interested in this potential to expand our consciousness. That's, that's you know, I'm not going to say more than that <laughs> yeah. for now, but I'm looking yeah. into it. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a it's a sort of a, something that I wrestle with because there's things that I do and I believe mm-hmm. that I struggle to talk about. I think mm. honestly in public because mm. I don't have the scientific lens to explain it. Yeah, and I think as doctors we're sort of held to a higher standard Mm -hmm. than your average podcaster, person of influence, whatever you want to call us. Um, Like, you know, it's, and I'm always finding out new bits of information that can explain Mm -hmm. my biases or Mm -hmm. the sort of old wives tales or Mm. whatever you want to call them. But when it comes to this kind of conversation, Mm. I do struggle to sort of like articulate um, my personal uh, belief and pull towards it mm-hmm. and explain it through the lens of science. Yeah, and I, I agree with you and I have, I've been in that place. But what I've also found is that we have the privilege of being able to talk about things that people are scared to talk about yeah. because other people will judge them or think they're, mm. you know, literally like going insane. Yeah. Um, Because I think what you're saying is probably similar to my experience, which is where you have a private conversation with somebody about something (laughs) that you wouldn't really necessarily talk about scientifically. And because you share that, you find out there are so many other examples of it, but it's the kind of things that people don't talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So when I was interviewing the um, professor whose research is on terminal lucidity, Mm -hmm. and he's also director of the Viktor Frankl Institute, I pressed him quite strongly about whether consciousness can exist outside, you know, apart from the physical body. Okay. And he said, you know, he's got friends and family that are like, you can tell us, <laughs> um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it quiet. Yeah. And he, you know, he kept saying, Tara, you can't prove it. Uh-huh. Um, but I have a, you know, I have a strong opinion. Okay. And he, you know, he talked in this roundabout way and I actually said, Alexander, you've basically said a lot without actually saying anything. Yeah. And he said, Tara, no one has ever pressed me this much on this. And I said, but I think it's important because so many people have lost someone either through death or the breakdown of a relationship or feel lost in themselves. And if what this person is saying is true, there's just a lot of comfort that can be taken from this knowledge. And... um, some really interesting questions to be asked and to be looked into by doctors and scientists. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, it reminds me of two people actually that I've had the privilege of chatting to on the podcast. One is Dr. David Hamilton, mm-hmm. who's a chemist and um, wrote a book called Why Woo Woo Works. <laughs> and it's brilliant. It's really interesting. It talks a bit about like the placebo effect and the power of sort of um, 
belief in things like crystals and and the sort of high powers and and stuff like that that again is a very uncomfortable topic for everyone to talk about particularly medics and scientists but also dr jeffrey redinger who's a harvard psychiatrist actually mm -hmm. who wrote a book called cured mm -hmm. and it was all about how doctors refrain from talking about spontaneous recovery I'm an example of spontaneous recovery That's true. because you can't wow. explain my atrial fibrillation dissipating through the lens of what we understand yeah. about what triggers AF in the first place. Mm -hmm. But in reality, you know, I changed my diet, yeah. I reduced my stress, I changed my exercise habits, mm -hmm. and my mindset. He would be a really interesting person to talk to because he actually mm. studied this as part of his okay. PhD, I believe, and he's a former surgeon. Wow. So, yeah, I'm going to connect you with him Thanks. as well. He's yeah, brilliant. He'd be a wonderful person to have this conversation with. This has been brilliant. I love chatting to you, honestly. I want to talk to you about so many other subjects. Your book, like I said many times before, I read all the time. I've read it like four <laughs> times you. now. Uh, I love your explanation of manifesting neuroaesthetics and um, this diving into ancient wisdom, I think, is something mm. that I really want to go into a bit more, particularly oh, through the lens of food, because it's so easy yeah, to yeah, sort of like yeah. explore it through the lens of cooking, cuisines, and it's that door into so many different cultures and cuisines that Let's I just think create is... a movement. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank I really you. appreciate you being Thank here. Thank you so much. And helping me manifest this. Yay! <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Doctor's Kitchen Podcast. Remember, you can support the pod by rating on Apple, follow along by hitting the subscribe button on Spotify, and you can catch all of our podcasts on YouTube if you enjoy seeing our smiley faces. Review show notes on the doctorskitchen.com website and sign up to our free weekly newsletters where we do deep dives into ingredients, the latest nutrition news, and of course, lots of recipes by subscribing to the Eat, Listen, Read newsletter by going to thedoctorskitchen.com forward slash newsletter. And if you're looking to take your health further, why not download the Doctor's Kitchen app for free from the App Store? I will see you here next time. Spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.